Welcome to Nerds of the Old Republic. We're here in the fall. We are ready to get our spicy on talking about Dune. Uh, Mike has made this gorgeous freaking drink. You want to tell everybody what it looks like, Mike? So it's a spicy margarita. Uh, we salted the rims, of course, with lime and margarita salt, and we made it with uh, fresh jalapenos and um, you know, we uh, we just <laughs> we hope it's not too spicy. We hope it's good. Uh, I was kind of eyeballing it there at the end. I got away from the recipe a bit. It looks good. That's the best chefs and bartenders do. <laughs> no, That's it, right. It does look right. good. It definitely yeah. looks good. So uh, well, let's just hope it tastes the match. I think the artisanal big chunk of ice is my favorite part. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah. I can't wait for people to see that up on the, yeah. the site. Improve every cocktail. Exactly. Oh, for sure. All Cheers, right. gentlemen. Cheers. Cheers. I like that. It yeah, is, that's good. It is very good. It's it's actually not that spicy. It's not, but it like cuts down on the sweetness you can get even yeah. from like regular limes. Yeah. Margarita mix itself is basically Kool-Aid oh, for adults. Yes. yes. And you use limes, but even still those can be pretty pretty sweet. Right. So it has fresh limes in it too, and I feel like the jalapenos um, don't really add that much spice as much as as you said kind of cut back on yeah. the tanginess. There's a little tone of spice in there, yeah. but nothing uh, overpowering, which is mm-hmm. great. Yeah, I wouldn't say my eyes are turning blue no. or anything from the spice. <laughs> no, lips aren't burning. Not yet, no. Not a dick. We're not, we are not uh, uh, bound to Earth now. We can uh, remain on planet Earth. That's true, although I won't get the awesome insight powers. Oh, that is true. Damn it. <laughs> God knows I can Although we that. don't know yet. I mean, this is the first time any of us has had this drink, so... I'm pretty sure if I have a couple margaritas, I'm going to gain all <laughs> sorts of things, I think. Adam becomes the Cuisage Hedera. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit of spicy aftertaste, I notice. Mm. Like, just the, after mm-hmm. after I've swallowed, I get a little bit of that jalapeno. Yeah, I get that. Just right, like It's almost like you, you don't get it until it's in your throat. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And... I know jalapenos don't really smell, but I feel like because it's floating next to my nose when I'm drinking it, I, like, imagine the smell there, Yeah, which probably helps a little bit, too. This was a great find. Mm-hmm. It's a great recipe. Yeah, great I'm job, I'm impressed. Uh, I'm a little disappointed there was no worm in the bottle, though. Yeah. That would have really matched the theme well. <laughs> I think that was banned in, like, 1937, Grandpa. <laughs> I think they still make them. No, you got to go places for that. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm giving them the hard time. They, yeah. they still do, I think. I remember uh, watching, and, uh, was it Poltergeist or something, or one of them, where the worm comes alive in the bottle? Yeah, that freaked me out. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could ever touch the worm in a bottle after seeing that. I don't know why people fought over that shit. Yeah. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you can eat that worm. People Allegedly. do, right? Yeah. And it is uh, supposed to it, be just chock full of alcohol. It looks like a and... used condom. I can't imagine ever <laughs> oh, trying God. to eat that. Wow. Oh, that's that's a vivid image there. I, don't I think had some that. bad nights watching people eat worms Ooh. from, yeah. I've heard that they have in other places, like Alaska and places where people go crazy from sun deprivation, that they have, like, pickled toes and things that they'll put in, like, alcohol. So, like, if someone loses a digit, they throw mm-hmm. it in a bottle of whiskey, and then that becomes, like, the ceremonial drinking whiskey. Wow. Yeah. And do you know where these places are? Because this sounds like a good podcast road trip. Oh, Alaska. my God, Mike. You <laughs> just planned our summer right there. The next zombie thing we do. <laughs> That's right. It's uh, Yukon. Alaska, so it's going to be All a right. bit of a trip, guys. That might oh, be fun. fun. I'm in for that. Nerds yeah. on the road. All right. If you we, guys want that, hit us up on the socials. My wife and I were going to do Alaska for our 10th anniversary, and then global pandemic hit. So couldn't do that. So replan- sorry, honey. Put it on hold. We're going as a guy thing. Or I, I know say- you want to have a nice romantic <laughs> night. However, I got to go drink some toe whiskey with the guys. <laughs> That's right. Plan your trip, and we'll just come too. That's no. all. Yeah, I don't think she's mine. Not at all. 
We do have a special cast, though, in that we are comparing two drinks tonight. Mm-hmm. So we've got the uh, OG tequila uh, margarita, and then um, I've recently become obsessed with mezcal, the like cousin to tequila, made from agave as well, but uh, smokier. So I thought, well, if we're talking about dune and things with war and battle and just like dryness and moisture being important mezcal smoky aftertaste kind of came right to mind plus we have this jalapeno margarita which i think could be improved i'm not saying mike did anything wrong (laughs) i'm just thinking like maybe if we tried it with mezcal so we're going to do two beverages tonight before we get into it i also full disclosure i have not drank any water in the last two weeks to prepare for this cast so you've been wearing a still suit made of a hefty bag and some duct tape yep i've noticed that it's been rough guys but i've preserved my leaders i will try to contain myself because when i when i drink too many margaritas i tend to start sobbing uncontrollably and we we will not (laughs) be offering water for the dead this evening no hopefully not but it could be me. <laughs> All right, we'll catch you guys on the flip side, right? Mm-hmm. All right, we are, well, I can't speak for you guys, but I am halfway through my Marg. And, yeah, don't uh, speak for me because I am uh, ha! basically 100% is Mark, is Mark a legit term? Is that the new thing? It is how dive bars advertise their $3 margaritas. What if I wanted to call it a Rita? You can. You sound like Bud Light, but it's okay. <laughs> I've been trying to do that with my students, like using like the last part of their name as their nickname instead of the first part. Yeah. You know, like someone would be like, what would it be, like Jillian. Yeah. Instead of calling her Jill, I'll call her Leon. Mm-hmm. It's not working. That's okay. They don't like it. You know, names is a really good transition over to uh, the book. So, Frank Herbert's Dune, one of the OG sci-fi classics. And as usual, I'm the noob drawn to the book, thanks to you guys, because of your uh, knowledge of it. And uh, I guess I want to know, since, um, you know, the movie's coming up, trailers look gorgeous. Uh, what did you guys know about Dune from pop culture before you read it, or I guess while you read it? Either way, I started reading Dune uh, five years ago, and I was about halfway through and enjoying it. Um, and then my son was born, and I stopped reading. Period <laughs> mm-hmm. for well, quite a while. Yep. Um, I picked it up again last year, and I was I, around the end of book one. Uh, maybe even slightly into book two um, within the first book, yeah. to be clear, not the second Dune novel, um, when we decided that this was going to be uh, a cast uh, that we were going to do. So I put it back down again. So this was actually my third go Thanks, at Mike. Dune. Um, I cannot say that I have any history with it other than that or that my knowledge of it was other than just general, you know, I'm aware of the movies uh that have flopped and the difficulties they've had translating it to the screen. I was aware of the basic plot and themes of it. Um, but, you know, beyond that, my knowledge of Dune was not extensive. It was just a book that was on my radar that I wanted to read. Mm-hmm. I have a very similar uh, background. Funny, almost eerie in the way that I tried to get at it a couple, like about five years ago, too, and got into it. And I don't know if it was a confluence of competing interests at the time, but I was just like, I don't have time for this. And I'm like, this is going to take way too much effort. So I put it down and I never never got back to it but uh it's one of those like you said it's one of those touch tones in science fiction that you just become aware of in this like sphere of nerddom and i just as a star wars fan as mm-hmm. 
uh, you know, like uh, Arthur C. Clarke fan and um, Isaac Asimov and all that, you just become aware of Dune, and it's just its presence is huge in that realm. And I knew about like what is it? David Lynch, I think, did the TV series or something. Yes, mm-hmm. and I remember seeing parts of it. Uh, I, uh, it was a movie. David Lynch. It was, it was like a miniseries movie, right? Or, no, it no? was a movie. Who did it the miniseries a, then? Uh, someone did that. Was that in the 1990s? Maybe they did a. I think they they did that. Yeah, it was like a. I remember you know, that. It was one of it was one of Lynch's early movies. It was after Blue Velvet. It was in the mid 80s. A young, a very young Patrick Stewart was in it. That's right. Uh, yeah. But. Um, and and you know the the thinking or the reputation of the movie is that it it may have been better except that it was a lot of uh, control from the studio and the producer okay. Lynch is Lynch didn't really get to make the movie that he wanted to right. make. I've never seen it, um, you, so I, I have, have no I looked and I couldn't find it. Yeah, I I know I must have come across it at some point because I do have those images of Patrick Stewart and stuff. But where and how and when and for how much I have no no recollection. Yeah, I tried the public library. I tried stream my streaming services, Amazon, Hulu, Netflix. Nothing. And yeah, I mean, you could pay for it extra. And considering I'm going to pay to see the new movie, right? I mean, when it comes out, I figured I would save my my dollars. That TV miniseries was 2000, oh, which really? yeah is 21 years ago, but <laughs> is still more recent than we all thought. Is it Cronenberg? Like who did that? That name seems to change for some reason. Maybe that's, that couldn't couldn't be. I must be wrong. One moment. It was not Cronenberg, but but it Cronenberg would have been a good one. <laughs> yeah. Now that you think of like what ifs, we should get to that later. Maybe after we who, watch the new movie, who could have done <laughs> Baz Luhrmann? Of course. <laughs> oh, oh. great music. Oh my god. Awful everything else. Uh, don't even get me started, guys. <laughs> Jay Z and Beyonce and Fergie on the Get soundtrack. Crazy <laughs> I'll be bringing yeah. in my my f bombs early. <laughs> We're actually prodding Sean for the f bombs. <laughs> poking the bear, speak. literally. Here. <laughs> We're trying to big out, bring out the epic booming "fuck you" early on this podcast. <laughs> John Harrison. Oh, um, I had no one I would even thought. Series directed by okay. Herbert has a writing credit. Well, actually, he only has the unaccredited right? credit. No, John Harrison also gets the main writing credit for the teleplay. Herbert's only there because it's his novel. Yeah, okay. he didn't have any input on the uh, series. So oh, that's you know, it. Then. That's all I get. The same here. You know, it's funny. Like for as much as it looms large in the genre of sci-fi. There's really not a lot out there in it. I don't get like a lot of Muad'Dib references from people who read books or I something. I like the way you pronounce that, by the way. Thank you. I, I worked on it for a little bit. I would call it Muad'Dib, but I don't know. If I'm that's... not sure. That's probably right. Actually, <laughs> I have nothing to base it on. Yeah, um, Sean and I already uh, dis- disagreed over was it Fremen versus Freeman? Yeah. We were... Oh, I kept saying Freeman. <laughs> Freeman. So we've got three that's like different the New England Buffalo like <laughs> Freeman. <laughs> Sort of no, I was thing. going Fremen because there's only one E and one L. Like it's Fremen, right? Yeah. I don't know. I guess I like I, the Buffalo accent here, though. I like that. It's, you know what? Uh, I subconsciously was like, you know what? They're free. <laughs> they're, they're free men. They're yeah, free men, right? Man. Oh boy! <laughs> Reel it in, Karen. Reel it in. <laughs> All right. You know, yeah. It's just interesting how little pop culture. Um, intellectual property there is out there of and I wonder if it's because Herbert held it so closely to him and his family and just didn't license it out like crazy you know like Lord of the Rings no offense Tolkien but you can go anywhere and get like yourself some elven writing um, notebooks you can get yourself some 
elvish ears. Well, that's or more the estate's responsibility. And, and Christopher fair. Tolkien cashing in on his father's legacy that's fair. more than anything. Well, and Lord of the Rings has, you know, even long before the Jackson movies, uh, you know, Led Zeppelin was writing songs about it, and people right. were scribbling Frodo lives on the subway wall. So Lord of the what? Rings has definitely deeply permeated the culture for decades and decades. But and Dune it. always has too, but in a like a much like more nebulous sort of way. I like, think Dune's more of the underground hit. Like yeah. it's like if you get the Dune references, then you're deep into it and you really know like there's I didn't realize there were so many sequels in print. Like there are I had no clue until I almost bought the wrong book. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how much Dune is out there. I'm like I thought it was just one thing. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny though about the like the Dune references. You know, I caught myself telling my son a lot recently because he is tightly wound uh, because of his parents. <laughs> uh, I kept, I keep saying like, stress is the mind killer, uh, or wow. uh, fear is the mind killer, which is the direct quote. Right. Nice. But you know, I just put like, anxiety is the mind killer. Wow. Because I did, you know, it lines up with a lot of the other things that like I'm working on personally with like mindfulness and meditation and mm-hmm. stuff, which isn't necessarily like the Middle Eastern culture that is incorporated into the book directly, but it just kind of lines up with a lot of stuff going on right yeah, now. Absolutely. I can't think, like, what other references have you heard then? Or, like, because you said, like, oh, if you get them, you really know. Obviously, the worms are oh, that's the right. ones yeah. that the spice, everybody knows. And the, the navigators. Share the spice. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, I mean... This the house Atreides and Harkonnens, those names kind of crap. crap I mean, how Stark and House. Well, we can talk about that later, Adam. That's... I'm gonna. Yeah, I like both of these. See, now I thought it was Corleone and Barzini and. Uh... Yes. <laughs> oh, man, we're going all different kinds of directions here. Yeah, so maybe maybe I'm giving one writer too much of a hard time for yeah. following Herbert because, like, you know, the idea of like mafia families or the idea of tribalism is not new to anybody. No, they didn't invent that for sure. Yeah. So, uh, what surprised you guys about the book before we get into like some of the details? Did anything surprise you? I think, like, I remember trying it originally, like as you said a few years ago, the same thing. And finding it really dense at first and then getting back into it again, I realized this isn't as bad as I thought. Mm Mm-hmm. Now maybe my mind's more clear now, my children are older or something, but I had an easier time getting into it. Once I did, I realized, wow, this is quite the page tenor. Mm-hmm. I was really enjoying it, and I think uh, I was expecting it to be work to get through that book, and it turned out to be actually pretty fun, and I liked it a lot. So that was surprising to me. What I was surprised by was, and this this is, uh, for me, I, I, I'm going to use the word ironically here, reminiscent of A New Hope. Uh, even though A New Hope is, of course, partially influenced by the setting of, of Dune. Desert Planet. Yeah, but... Um, Tatooine was original, man. He didn't steal that. No. You know, the genius of A New Hope, you know, when it came out, was that it <coughs> hinted at this incredibly endless and epic galaxy with many, many, you know, underlying stories and histories and mythologies... Mm-hmm. But when you go back to it, you're actually surprised by how little happens in terms of the actual characters and plot. All, mm-hmm. Very little happens. You know, it's it's sort of a heist film yeah. with, like, a big yeah. fight at the end, you know? And, <laughs> and those, those two things are, like, I, you know, like, they seem incompatible, but that's true of A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading Dune, I was, like, feeling the same way. I'm like, 
this feels both. It feels incredibly huge. It feels like so dense and so epic on an incredible scale, but when you actually pause and think about what happens over the beginning, you know, middle and end of this novel, it doesn't feel like that much. Like, it doesn't feel... If I were just to articulate the plot points, I feel like I could do it very briefly. So, I, and I, I'm, that's not a criticism. That's, yeah. that's just the thing that reminded me of A New Hope and, and surprised me a little bit about the book. That's a great point, Mike, because the world building is huge. It is absolutely, you get this concept that there's this gigantic world, or I'm sorry, galaxy-spanning human empire with all kinds of intrigue and political machinations and all these things going on, but the story is so localized that you really don't get that expansive sense it's very personal yeah it's a tiny story set against a massive backdrop and you know uh, as I, I like to always imagine the creative process and i feel like that actually takes a lot of skill to pull off oh, because sure. there's you, you have to avoid that you know those info dumps and that you know tons right. of exposition you have to sort of just hint at all of that epicness and it's there but yeah. in terms of plot you know, very. It's very. It's a small story. It's a very small, contained story set against a massive backdrop. It really intrigues me how they did that because while I was reading, well, they Herbert, when <laughs> I was reading, I'm like, wow, I still have like 400 pages left. Right. I still have 300 pages left, and he had just gotten, you know, like the coup had just happened, and, and Paul and his mom were like basically wandering the desert for what at that time felt like a long time, but really looking back, it's like oh, a chapter, and then mm-hmm. they get found by the Fremen. Freeman, free man, free mans. I'm gonna say it all three times, <laughs> and and then thus free begins men or free the transition. Women. That's right, free humans. It's actually from <laughs> from like human out there, yeah. Um, but it really it really does speak to how much time it takes to build a world. Yeah, you know because we're on Arrakis. All right, are we settled on Arrakis? Arrakis? I think Arrakis. Arrakis. Arrakis okay. Yeah. I the one thing that I really struggle with sometimes with like sci-fi or fantasy is the pronunciation of like the names that are created for the book, especially if they're not like, if they're brand new. Oh, we get it wrong. We're going to get eviscerated too. Oh, for sure. That's the worst part. (laughs) You can send all flame comments to at, I don't know, actually, I don't have have a burning email address. uh, You know, just the, the world building that takes place is so masterful that you don't really notice the passage of pages as you go through. Okay. I was really impressed with that. Um, even though um, I finished this book when we were in Boston back in July, and I just remember sitting because we were exhausted. So Sam would fall asleep. We were in an Airbnb, and I'd read for like two, three hours by myself. No one, no one else was up, so I could just plow through it. And I just remember the pages were turning fast, but it was almost like the time was going slowly, yeah. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like the whole time relativity weirdness that can happen sometimes. Yep. Um, and I think I appreciate the book now more looking back on it, and I enjoyed it when I was reading it. So I don't even know how that happens as a writer. I'm, I'm in awe. Wow. Well put. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I had a couple months to think of my response there. <laughs> I finished it... Uh ironically in the sand on a beach in uh, August and I had uh, a similar kind of feeling about it. Well, I finished the book uh, today. So <laughs> You've got the fresh. best memory. That's right. <laughs> can, can I throw you under the bus though? Can you tell the story 
of the person you saw was it on a beach yes reading dune we yes. just the, the the podcast text thread blew up one day when mike yes. was like well uh so we were we uh my family and i and some friends were in hilton head and we were on the Great beach place. and um you know a uh, let, let's just say a very attractive person uh you know happened to uh, pass in front um wearing a, a very let's say becoming uh sure Swimsuit. I like you're bringing that word back. <laughs> I think it's becoming, yeah. yeah. That's good. Michelle Obama made it um, Certainly, you know, as as an act of appreciation, my eyes, you know, may have may have followed a bit. Well, human and, beings appreciate aesthetics, Mike. You can't apologize yeah. for that. And I, yeah. I, as I asked myself, why am I, why, why are my eyes following this particular human being and and the becoming bathing suit that uh, they were wearing? Uh, I happened to notice they were carrying a big copy of Dune, that and is so they, awesome. they put their chair down uh, within thirty or forty yards of where we were camped out, and sat down and proceeded to continue reading Dune. Uh, and I said, uh, "Of course, there was yeah. the, the literary sensibility is, is what I was drawn to." Of course, <laughs> of course, as a man of the word would be. That's Indeed. right. Yes. Um, no, I just love that. You know, whether that's the uh, the movie's influence or just the enduring influence of the book. Nerds come in all it. shapes and sizes. Hell yeah, they do. Hell yeah, they this do. It's a very nice shape, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> this particular one. So one of the things that struck me was kind of the clear connection to the um, inclusion of like the Islamic world building and the inclusion of the Islamic. Um, kind of mindset for a lot of things mm-hmm. here. And I was just wondering uh, what you made of that. Was that off-putting? Was that interesting considering the current climate in the West of, well, America? If you you, you got to look back. Way. When Herbert wrote this, what was it, the 60s, I think, right? I, I don't know how the book in front I don't want to misquote it, so while you're talking, I'm going to look okay. back. But if you think about that mid-20th century, it might have even been earlier than the 60s, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, and the idea of Islam was the just exotic in America. 64? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt right. your train of thought here. But, but regardless... 65. 65. You were off by okay. a year. That's pretty damn impressive. <laughs> okay, so we were all in that zone. But yeah. if you think about like what, what Americans knew of Islam was either the nation of Islam... I'm going to interrupt you one more time here. Damn you, Mike. Just, <laughs> Mike is finally going to make it Sean 19, all the times. <laughs> 1965 was a great year in pop music history because that was the year that... Certain artist went from folk to uh, oh, electric. Get it? There it is. All right. Now, see, you you lacked last time. You made up for <laughs> He's it. got it already. in first this time, so I'm feeling <laughs> pretty good. Give, All right, double, give him a double dig for getting it first, Adam. <laughs> there you go. All right, you will not be interrupted uh, again. <laughs> uh, where was I going with that? Uh, now the Bob Dylan's on my man. What were you trying to see? Tangle me. So at mid six, you think about Islam in this country as this exotic. If, if you're not thinking of Muhammad Ali and the Nation of Islam and all that, or um, uh, think of Malcolm X. Malcolm X, Malcolm. right? Yeah. Like it was just this like other side of the world kind of feeling, or you know, you might have seen it in a movie as these guys wearing like you know things on their face, and you're like, well, that's different. Indiana it, Jones. Right. It didn't for my generation. It mm-hmm. didn't have the immediacy of a culture that we have now as being perceived as aggressive. Mm-hmm. But I think Herbert looked at it and saw the idea of the, uh, I don't say that jihad, because that, that word gets misused way too much, but the concept of of actively spreading and trying to, like Christian missionaries, push the word, and now the new word would be the Book of Allah and all that. I think he foresaw something there, and you see a lot of other 
uh, sci-fi properties pick up on that too. Like I'm thinking of Chronicles of Riddick or whatever it was oh, called, um, yeah. Blackout or whatever Lights Out, whatever that movie the was. The movie was Chronicles of Riddick, but Vin the Diesel. first Vin one, Diesel. the I first one though, when it was like just the aliens and it's, you can see in the dark or something. But yeah. there was a huge Islamic presence in that movie, and I think even it was late '90s or whatever before 9/11. Yeah, and it was one of those like, oh, people kind of foresaw the spread of those ideologies and that those. Just like us, cultural touchstones from Islam, and I think Herbert was just ahead of it with that. And if you see it, it's really interesting. This book has a really great blend of Islam and Catholicism. I think the OC Bible, whatever they call it, the Orange Catholic Bible, was a big part of it. Mm-hmm. The um, just sort of that, um, like, what would humanity, what would happen to humanity in several thousand years, and all of our cultural ideas. I think that um, I, I don't have any profound, uh, nearly as profound of an answer here as Sean. Oh, thank you. Um, we can pause it, you can think, and then we'll come back. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. To the magic of editing. It only yeah. takes it like half a second. <laughs> this, this whole thing took actually three days. We just edited it together. But, um, this is my family. I, uh, you know, my thinking as I was reading this was, you know, the interesting, interesting thing about the fantasy genre is it went from being, you know, one of the worst genres in terms of cultural representation mm-hmm. to being, I think, one of the best uh, yeah. in recent, you know, ten or twenty years. Um, in the era that uh, Herbert was writing Dune, uh, you know, it was all. English medieval, you know, castles and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you had high fantasy. Yeah, very medieval yeah. European. Thanks, um, And and I think that whereas a modern audience may read Dune now and and not be particularly impressed with, you know, bringing in the other culture and stressing the other cultures, traditions, and everything, um, I, I feel like in 1965 that was a big deal. And I don't, uh, you know, I, I use the word fantasy here. I'm, I'm going to make the argument like I I think we did for Star Wars that uh, Dune probably fits better in fantasy than, than science fiction if we're going to classify it in one of the genres. Um, and I, I think in 1965 what Herbert was doing was was pretty progressive. You know, I agree too in uh, many ways because I'm trying to think back to what was happening in the culture outside of literature in the 65. So like, I, I keep seeing like Sgt. Pepper with like the Nehru... Um, uh, jackets and stuff like people were in, in America. Go go boots. Oh well, <laughs> yeah. But many people were open to different worldviews other than the Western American culture in this the sixties, uh, and so it makes sense that you know this book would have been published at that time and found uh, a home in many people's hearts for that reason. But you're right though. You know I'm thinking of even just the books we've read like Saga mm-hmm. and how that deals with diversity of both. Uh, sexual orientation, gender orientation, and that sort of thing. Like, the genre of speculative fiction, I think, has done more for representation than, well, for sure, straight literature. Mm. And I mean straight in all the ways that that can be taken. (laughs) You know, when you go to the capital L literature section in a bookstore, you don't get the representation that you do in speculative fiction, which doesn't always make it to those... Uh, shelves and that's I, I feel like that's a, a fairly recent development like mm-hmm. I said maybe last couple of decades um, you know but it's a stunning turnaround I mean as recently as like the 80s early 90s it was you know it was Robert Jordan in the Wheel of Time and very, again very medieval <laughs> yeah. European yeah. and um, huge again right yeah and and I don't mean to criticize the 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 fantasy no. literature of those decades because you know I mean uh, all the way back to Tolkien. I mean, I, I appreciate all of it and enjoy it very much. 
Uh, but in terms of its representative nature, it was it wasn't uh, checking all those boxes. And and then I feel yeah. like at some point in the last quarter century, it has swung hard the other way. And uh, I feel like in in uh, its ability to represent cultures and histories and worldviews and perspectives, it's it's at the you know very pinnacle of the genres in terms of its ability to do that, its willingness to do that. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And I think some of that comes from the genre's ability to embrace the sweeping nature of, like, a saga. You know, so literary fiction in America, you get, what, 280 pages done. Right. Pretty much. Unless you're Stephen King. Unless you're Stephen King, in which case you write <laughs> 3,000 pages a day. <laughs> but, uh... Or, or Dean Koontz. <laughs> Dean Koontz has a team of writers who write under Dean Koontz's name, just like, like a room of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> yeah, it's a room of monkeys pounding on keyboards. Uh... But no, seriously, like... Come fight us, Dean Koontz. We'll tell about He's it. not even alive. He's like Weekend at Bernie's. Oh, Someone just right. plays some music and he pounds on a keyboard and the monkeys pound on the keyboards and they put it all together. <laughs> That's fine. True fact. Whatever. Uh, but, True you fact. know, one thing that I think is off-putting to other people about the speculative fiction genre is how large the books can be. But in that, you know, well, volume, you're able to make space for everybody. Mm. in ways that I don't think other genres necessarily try or do. Yeah, agreed. What's really cool about this, and it's a, a bit of a, a hard segue off of that, but That's right. I really appreciated that when he built this world, there's only like one alien in the whole thing, and it's the worms. Everything else is human-dominated and Earth species-dominated, which is fascinating because I believe at that time people were looking at the Fermi Paradox, were looking at like the Great Silence and trying to figure out why have we not contacted anybody else yet. Mm-hmm. Why are, why can't we find life out there? And the idea that we really truly are unique, and this book plums the depths of that kind of despair in a way. Like there's nothing, yeah. there is nothing that we don't make out there, which I found to be really an interesting, like yeah. almost barely touched upon little sub note, but something that really definitely carries a ton of weight throughout the whole narrative. I hadn't thought of that at all, mm-hmm. but now that you're you're saying it, I'm, I'm I'm thinking and I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, in terms of intelligent life forms, they were just human beings. Uh, I, and obviously in Star Trek and Star Wars, they're, you know, they might have, like, the color blue on their face, or they might have some interesting <laughs> nose ridges. But they speak English. Their yeah. nose but they is speak different. flawless English, and yeah. they're yeah. very humanoid. Well, English is um, the best but, language. Right? But they are, you know, and, and that's an interesting, different take that I hadn't thought about as I was reading the book, but you're right. They're, it, the idea is that humanity has just spread out into an, a basically otherwise empty universe in terms of intelligent life at least as far as they've gotten yep yeah. it's moving ready yeah. there you go that's right <laughs> small planet. a little bit of a worm infestation but you know some throw pillows <laughs> a couple fine. of curtains here. you get it's some thumpers great. you throw them over there you that's hop right. on the worms yeah it's it's, don't worry about it Speaking of worms, I'm going to transition back to drinks. We are all empty. Are we dry? Yes, sir. We are dry. We need some <laughs> moisture, not just yes. liquid moisture. So we're going to take a pause right now. We're going to switch over to the Mezcal Spicy Margarita, and uh, we'll be back after that. So uh, Adam's mouth is currently full of meat, so we're going to take over the hosting category. <laughs> Obviously, the first drink has also kicked in very nicely for me, at least. I don't know mm-hmm. what the rest of you. I'm ready to hit the it. second drink. 
Adam, you want to tell us what we're drinking tonight? Yeah, so uh, second drink of the night is just a mezcal margarita, uh, spicy. I did mix in jalapenos in the shaker. I did not mix in jalapenos for garnish here. Everything else otherwise is the same, just as Mike made it the first time. What the fuck, Adam? (laughs) Okay. I got lazy, didn't cut stuff. That's what it was. Uh, But yeah, no, it should be uh, smokier, but still kind of impart the same flavor in the end. So cheers, let's see what we think. Cheers, cheers. The smoke hits you immediately. Yes, yes, yeah. it does. Yeah. It's like mesquite. Oh, you man. are like on a smoke like uh, journey a lately. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's going to do for my health, but <laughs> and put liquid <laughs> smoke and smoke drinks and yeah. Well, good cereals, but liquid smoke. I am a sucker for uh, anything with smoke flavor to it. Um, you know, my favorite whiskeys and scotches are the smoky, peaty ones, and mm-hmm. uh, I am a fan of this. I don't know if I, I thought you I, might like it. I don't want to officially say I've, I've not had a drink with mezcal in it before because you know you have cocktails in restaurants all the time, and it may just be slipping my memory. But it is the only time that is coming to me right now, and I'm a fan. I am a fan. I, I gotta glad. say, I'm liking it too. All right. It reminds me of eating some jerky or something like this. It really, you know what? I was thinking, like, could you drop this in a Bloody Mary next to a Slim Jim? Ooh. <laughs> and have that kind of play off each other. Uh, Adam likes to infuse everything with meat. You would not survive my bar experience. <laughs> I might not ex- survive my bar experience, but I'm glad it worked out. Um, I'm on a cholesterol medicine already. Thank you very much. Are you really? Doing okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's family, though. Yeah. Uh. Uh, yeah, us Polskis have real high cholesterol that our liver just likes to crank out on us. My um, diabetes must be counteracting that part of my DNA because right. mine's like super low for some reason. Yeah. Like yeah. not good low. Oh, no, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Probably. Yeah, yeah, you know, it works out somehow in the middle. But... Yeah, I promise I eat vegetables and stuff, but, you know. I'm sure you do. That's, uh, I'm glad this works out. Yeah. I am uh, pleasantly surprised, too. It's yeah, I'm a fan. not overbearing, Mm-mm. but just the touch I was hoping would have. And it's not that I didn't like the first drink. That drink mm, was no, excellent. No, I like that one, too. Yeah. But this just brings, it's like a whole other flavor palette, and yeah. I'm enjoying it. Well, that first drink tasted like a margarita with, you know, with jalapeno, you yeah. know? Yeah. yeah. This tastes like a, a, a different thing, and like a really interesting thing. There's a more complex flavor yeah, to it. it. It's almost like how Dune, you get to like the second and third books, and it feels like a different thing. <laughs> Just a point for bringing it back to the book. Yeah, yeah I gotta try. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. School night. <laughs> no, speaking of Dune. Mm. <laughs> oh, the... <laughs> no, I'm glad it worked. I um, it's okay, Adam. You can finish chewing. Uh, we can uh, fill the space while you, there you go. <laughs> I, I shoved a pizza or not a pizza bite, a um, a buffalo wing bite in my mouth. While yeah. trying to breathe, Sean, hoping... Sean was premature on bringing it back. Sean, <laughs> Sean tends to be premature. Yeah, we've heard. I'm early. <laughs> he always up... finishes first, though. My pull-up game is weak. <laughs> oh. <laughs> is that a Lizzo reference? No, not Lizzo. That was actually from WAP. WAP. Okay. I was listening to the Richard Cheese version earlier gotcha. with my brother, who had never heard of Richard <laughs> oh. Cheese, and I played WAP for him, thinking that's a good way to introduce him to it. Yes, yeah. that would be. I've yeah. not heard Richard tell him, Cheese's version. Did of you it. tell it's him what fantastic. the abbreviation means? Uh, well, he already knew that. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Because so Megan D. Stallion taught him well. So. That's who it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's about a cat, right? Who like fell in a pool? Fell in a pool. Yes. It's one wet ass <laughs> cat. Right. Punani Dasani. I mean, there you go. I think my favorite version is. It's so it's almost up there with like how awful uh, Richard Cheese's is, Dick Cheese's. 
There's his a, verses are great, by the way. His verses are great. He's awful in a good I'm way. not knocking you. There's a there's a YouTuber who I listen to who redoes, uh, yeah, right, redoes, not redo. They remake songs. There yeah. we go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, in different styles, and so they did WAP in the style of Barbershop Quartet. And I'm so similar to Dick Cheese. That probably works fantastic. That's amazing. It was. I, gotta, I was unaware of the song until they did that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, how is this on the radio? I got to throw this out there, too, while we're at it. Because I know with the long reach of our, our media power, that Richard Cheese will hear of this. Yes. And he'll, he'll inevitably listen to Dick. this cast. Uh, yeah, Dick, if you're listening, we would love to do a cast with you. We're maybe a fan. if you want to yeah. bring the band and play in the background. Oh my god, yeah, we yeah. would. Or he could do you know one of those things where he does like a version of our theme song. Oh, that'd be and fantastic. We feature that in an episode. You know, I would for sure feature that. Richard Cheese, <laughs> we would we would be greatly in your debt. Find you on the socials there, Indeed. Richard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we are uh, joking around about our uh, reach here, but. Really do want to say a thank you, though. We've just passed 500 downloads in less than uh, a year. Uh, somewhere north of 500 North downloads, of 500. Adam. I mean, you got to keep, right, right. keep it nebulous. There. We have over 500 downloads as of this recording. Mm-hmm. And we have listeners on every continent except Antarctica. I just Come on, Antarctica. Today. What the fuck? Where the fuck are you at, Noah scientists? Jeez. Come on, you guys. If anyone's going to listen to us, it's going to be you. Dang. Yeah, that's right. If anybody wants to... <laughs> no, they're just to... alienated the scientific That's community. Right. All right, you asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't scientists want to read dystopia? I don't know. Maybe because it's their fucking life. Oh. Oh, man. Symmetry. Yeah. But a big thank you, though, to everybody for that. Uh, big thank you to Brazil. Saw you today, if you're listening still. Uh, uh, Australia. Oh. Our Australian friends are representing strong in the I, last month. A few I w- downloads. I wish I could say thank you in Portuguese, but I, I don't know how. I don't know. I can say thank you in Australian. Yeah. Thanks, mites. No, that was terrible. I, I apologize it's to my... A, uh, lost our Aussie it was a poor. There. It was a poor uh, <laughs> accent, but it was also highly offensive, I think, to Australians. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was bad. I should know more about Australia knowing that I have family there, so I should... Yeah. I, I gotta work on it. Sorry, guys. Right. You're probably our listeners anyway, so it's all we'll, good. We'll nail it next time. <laughs> the you, stereotyping yeah. will be on point next time. <laughs> yeah, right. yes. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what. Stay with us. I'm not a bogan. They'll get it. <laughs> okay. We're going to sip my drink here going, how many people are we bleeding here from the podcast? <laughs> my mission this whole time. Is Lost my... the Australian contingent. That's all right. Somehow our carodominant is running backwards now. <laughs> we are now sub 500. He gave back a download. <laughs> Damn it. All right. So we had left off talking about, um, you know, the inclusions of different culture in Dune. And I wonder what you think about how Herbert characterizes female characters. You know, I mean... Bene Gesserit Witch. Well, I know. <laughs> the book was written in 65, and obviously a lot has changed since uh, 65 to 2021. But um, I'm interested in your takes on the female characters. Like? <laughs> I'll take it. So Max, the I, up on Mike. Sorry, we could edit that out. I, <laughs> I don't know, I just... Uh, I didn't want to keep monopolizing everything, but I think, honestly, Herbert does it, honestly, like, it's tough because I, I want to parse my words because I don't want to get in trouble, but at the same time, I, I think he's pretty fair. I think um, Jessica is a strong female character who takes some agency over her life, even though she's kind of faded to this um, mother, what is it, mother superior kind of role? Um, what do they call her? Oh, I gotta look at what the title is now. The downside of me finishing the book yeah. way ahead of time. 
but some kind of like super witch. I don't know. And super witch. And the fact that like. That's what it was, actually. It was yeah, is that what it was? Super witch. Yeah, super witch. It sounds like a freaking uh, super, super witch. Oh my god! I was gonna say it sounds like a Black Sabbath song to me. You're a super witch. <laughs> that was a terrible Aussie too. Oh, man, I'm off today. I don't know what it is, but uh, we'll get you next cast. <laughs> I feel like I feel like uh, you know it was interesting how he almost blended some of the gender expectations too, and Paul being like this, like hybridized. Uh, Heteratch, which is supposed to be like, oh, only women can do this, but he's a man and he can do what a woman can do. That which was I interesting. I think that was kind of interesting how you flip the script. It's usually, oh, a girl can do what a guy can do. But Herbert also has that with um, uh, the girl. Zendaya plays her in the movie. You know, that one. Mm. Paul marries her. The one with the face. Yeah, the one uh, that's like almost kills him on the rocks. You mean yeah. the, the Fremen? Yeah, what's her the name? The Fremen girl. Oh, I should know this. Darn you, Mesco. Scrolling through notes. But we know who you mean. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Like, she was more of like that. Like, okay, so she's kind of the tomboy, you know, Mary, I don't say Mary Sue, but almost like does it all kind of woman. I don't think it was super complex. Yeah. I don't think he went out of his way to, like, be inclusive. But at the same time, for the era... I think he was much yeah. more um, progressive than I would have given him credit. Well, for. and that's why I, you know, when it got passed to me, I, I breathed deeply because I was <laughs> trying to decide how I wanted to approach this. Uh, I, I did, I was not impressed with the representation of women here, um, but I also didn't expect to be. This was a book yeah. written in the 1960s, and Johnny, uh, sorry to interrupt. Yes, Johnny. Okay. Yes, uh, you know, but I mean, the fact that we had to spend that much time searching for her name, and she's probably you know the second biggest female character in the book, yeah, says something. And and again, I, I don't want to say this as a criticism because this was written in ni- 1965, and and that was, I mean, if Dune came out today, I'm sure Herbert would have written it differently. You know, yeah. Um, I feel like Jessica is a strong character, as you said. Uh, even so, like you know, she um, she's sort of just there to be like uh, the Virgin Mary who brings along the Savior. You know, uh, yeah. That's her job is to coach along the Savior till he's yeah. ready to take over. I gotta take issue with that a little bit because okay. she does have her own arc in a way, and how you're right, she was a breeding vessel. Pretty much because of the Benegesserit way of like she trying to have create the power this thing, of being the the Duke's actual wife. But she defied the expectations that she was. So she chose her own role. She birthed yeah. uh, a male heir, and she also became a powerful figure in her own and, right. And I'm not criticizing the character. Uh, I just, I, I guess, I'm saying I'm also just not impressed. I, I don't That's think fair. That That's fair. Yeah, in twenty twenty one, we expect more. And as you said, you know, she, you know, it's it's cool that it's like, oh, Paul can do what women can do. But another way of saying that is like, you know, why can't the women do it? Then, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. he takes over the role, and I, I think this is a question that we have queued up for later. Um, but Paul takes on the, you know, the white male character here takes on a lot of roles. Gender-wise, and from other cultures You're and stuff. Save the Fremen. Everyone's been waiting for him to come along you know, to I, do it I, again. And I, I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. This is we. This is 2021. The book, I'm sure, would have been written differently today. I I don't want to say that as a criticism of a book that was written in 1965. In terms of the way it represented another culture, and in terms of the way Jessica was a very strong mm-hmm. female character, I think for a 1965 book. 
you make an interesting point that almost gave me a little side like, whoa, wait a minute. He never says what the skin color of these characters is. I, I don't think there's any point where it says Paul had creamy skin or anything like I, that. <laughs> creamy, beautiful, soft milk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there was there was no like, oh, he was no, dark and coarse. I had that. I had that same thought earlier, actually, um, because I'm I'm like, why am I picturing? I'm like, is that just something I'm doing? But you know, when you look at the movie versions that have been made, and when you look at the trailer for the movie that is coming out. I can't remember a specific point in the book where he makes that distinction, but right. that's how readers yeah. apparently pick up. But yeah, that's the that's like a, you know a director's vision is what we see, right. so we don't get the yeah. right to choose. But I feel like that's you could easily make the case that Paul is you know he he has a different skin tone he's or a blue. different yeah he's, he's from Avatar. Well, I mean he's got the <laughs> he got the blue eyes eventually yeah. from the spice, yeah. so they have to have it be differentiated somehow there. But he he could easily have some other kind of Not um, necessarily Thrawn. Oh no, Thrawn is blue with red eyes. Yeah, never yes. mind. Yeah. Edit that out. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you're saying though about the uh, women representation. It's um, it's weak by today's standards. Yes, so, like, and that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah that's the original all point. Was I mean, that's that's part of the history on it. Right. right. When you look back too much, you can always make it like that. I mean, mm-hmm. it is a little bit much to see the women controlling the breeding and genetics in the Benegasirat. Right. But like. You know, otherwise, Jessica's a fairly strong character. Mm-hmm. Chani has a lot of influence over a Paul. His little sister, who his little sister. has amazing oh, powers herself. She, yeah, you know, his she, little sister doesn't become, like, a uh, serious character until late in the book, but she has that really badass scene she's where she's, people. like, mouthing yes. off to the Emperor. Yeah, while yeah. She it's like the last the two chapters. Yeah. yeah, that yeah. is a really cool scene. I gotta yeah. say, I, I think it's it's... I don't want to say progressive because again, that's hard to make that statement now. At, you know, ex- it, progressive facto, is by like it's relative to where you yeah. are in time. I think mm-hmm. he's fair to both genders in the book. He doesn't put one that high above the other, even though it is a male header uh, hierarchy. You can see clearly in their governing yeah. system, the Bene Gesserit have immense power and they wield immense power. So it's not like he's ignoring, you know, half of the species. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with Like that. Tolkien does in, you know, Aww. his book where there's two nameable women characters that you remember who right. are in it for a grand total of five pages. Right. Sometimes they talk the to thing. each other for half a page. They seem yeah. like they even the movies feel like yeah. they yes. underrepresent women, but the movies actually way overrepresent the characters from the book. Oh, they try to to balance yeah. it. Which makes you wonder it's not gonna happen, in no. the film version that Villeneuve is doing that we're going to talk about later. What is the role of women going to look like? Well, in twenty twenty one, the uh, what what is the character's name? Um, the planetologist Keens. Mm-hmm. Keens. Saying? Yep. That is in Villeneuve's film. Uh, that's going to be a female character recast. Yeah, he Ooh. actually completely changed the gender. So there of the you character. go. He's already modified the source material to meet modern sensibilities. Yep. Not like it's a, it's not a drastic change. It doesn't really no, it doesn't, alter the narrative any. I wouldn't think. No, but it is a fair representation of the fact that. Women could do that too, right? Although sure. instead of Shani's father, it's or was her uncle? No, it's her father, right? She was Keynes' daughter. I think it was uncle, or was it her uncle? It's oh yeah, the leader of the seven hundred pages, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, relative. That's okay. Doesn't matter. Could be That's anybody. Right. Even we who read books for a living have trouble <laughs> remembering details like that. We're, we're we're talking. We're like like weighing the representation here, and you got to wonder like. Other decisions that will be made in like now and later, like does it have to be a gender specific character? Well, yeah, one would imagine as progressivism, you know, 
keeps influencing sci-fi and speculative fiction, yeah. one would imagine that the genders just aren't mentioned. It's such a... I, I don't want to say like a, like a speculative, futuristic kind of idea, but like where our species is going, where we accept mm-hmm. so many different variances of ourselves, that that's got to be... That's got to be down the pipe, right? It has to be. If you read people like... Um, God, his, his book is on my shelf right now, on my next-to-be-read list. Um, I can't think of it. He wrote Attack Surface, and um, he's a Canadian writer who does a lot with speculative fiction and like um, surveillance capitalism and that sort of thing. Is it Doctoral? Yeah, it's yeah. Doctoral. Corey Doctoral? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So um, in two out of the three books that I've read of his... There are gender fluid characters. Is as know, a matter of fact, as right? they wish. Yeah, just yeah. as right. it's it's not made a big deal. It's just they are there. They are fluid or maybe agendered, right. and that's just how they are. Well, it's like Saga, how it was yeah. just effortless. Right. It just was, and that yeah. was the best part. It's I mean, and, and this has all been a journey. We can literally trace this over time. And uh, but I mean, like you know, fifteen years ago, it was a big deal if a character like that was in a work of fiction. And their like that aspect of them was a major part of the plot and the was conflict. allowed to be mentioned. But I just mean like that the progressive aspect of it was that their journey was like the conflict, right? Yeah. And I, I think where we've progressed to is that like we don't even have to touch that anymore. A mm-hmm. character can be transgender. A character can be gay. A character a character can be whatever, and that, that doesn't even have to be part of the plot. They're yeah. just a character. Like anybody else is a character, and you know, so you certainly don't want to judge a novel in 1965 or 1985 or whatever by those standards. But um, you know, I think that's where we've gotten to. Yeah, it is, it is nice that that is the criticism we have, right? Like that it's not that women are kept in the kitchen, and we're like, <laughs> oh, please leave the kitchen and have some agency over your own life right. in the book. Right. It's oh, they didn't have a you know an agendered character, or a transgendered character, or something like that. I think that, Paul so. could fit that like role so easily too. Like just the way that he already is kind of like a pan gender sort of figure, being that he's got these powers that are only specifically gendered, mm-hmm. and he has mastery over all of it. I think that I don't want to make the case that he's like an early version of it, but it's almost like a David Bowie kind of like. He's not androgynous. I'm but literally pouring out a drink. Ziggy Stardust right now. But even like he but played he, it left hand, and he played it. There you far. go. But you, you think about like the like just like the Starman and all that. Yeah, and I can yeah. I see like a lot of Paul Trees in that idea. It's, he does have kind of like that that uh, you know just sort of what's the word I'm looking for? Ziggy Stardust. Well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. He has that je ne sais quoi. That's or right. Stardust. I believe it's pronounced spiders from Mars. Indeed, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, that's a great point though. Like in giving Paul the ability to do things that only female characters in the book were supposed to be able to do, he really does kind of combine all of them, which yeah. is what makes him so androgynous. Um, that's the word. Androgynous. Yeah. There you go. That's what yeah. I was looking for. Yeah. Which well, is kind yeah. of neat. And yeah. it, the way he's described physically, you're right. I mean, compared to the other mm-hmm. warriors, uh, oh Duncan gosh, Idaho. Yeah, some of them. Duncan Idaho, yeah, you know, the uh, warrior. Uh, Hallett, or whatever his name is. Isn't Idaho know. played by Jason Momoa? I believe yeah. so, yeah. Oh, yeah. My God. There you go. The masculine but of They're all described as, yeah. you know, these, Quote, like, unquote. very hulking, muscular warrior figures. And yet Paul is repeatedly stressed in the book, in, in the actual language used to describe him, as, as very thin and almost mm-hmm. uh, not the word effeminate is not used but that's like sort of the imagery 
that we're given. It's almost like Herbert's working with the times yeah. to give you an idea in your back of your mind that he doesn't have to say it out loud, but you get it. He's, right. He is an effeminate kind of you, man, even but in that, that huge, doesn't hold him back at the, all. The climactic, gladiatorial, one-on-one battle that he has yeah. at the end with that the, the final Harkonnen or the, yeah. the Duke-to-be or whatever, mm-hmm. um, there's actually a description of the two as they approach each other. And the Harkonnen is the muscular warrior, and uh, it's I forget exactly how he's described, but they describe Paul as like being like very wiry and whatever. Well, you just yeah. read it today. <laughs> yes, I, that's fresh in my mind. Yeah, this is a paraphrase. It's damn near an exact quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always associated with Paul physically because I'm just a wiry motherfucker, <laughs> and so it was nice to see a speculative fiction character. Who takes charge? Who is like the one who everyone rallies around and they're yep. looking to, and he's not like Jason Momoa. No offense, Jason Momoa. Appreciate your body, man, but still, it's <laughs> nice to see like somebody who's realistically human portioned. Yeah. On the other hand, uh, the uh, horrible emperor was described as having red hair. <sighs> so you got that as well. That's true. Shit. Well, you know what's interesting? It's like that's Use the... Use suspensors. <laughs> well, no, that was the Harkonnen. That was the Duke. He was oh, bald. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That was the Baron. The Baron. The Baron, was the Baron. yes, correct. Confused. Holding his bulk up with, like, anti-grab. <laughs> Love that. Yeah. The Emperor had a very, um, like, Irish almost kind of... Yeah. Or... Yeah, I wasn't cool with that. I'm yeah. not Irish at all, but still wasn't cool with it. But the, uh, yeah, it's that recessive trait, like, oh, only these... Small group of people have these weirdnesses going on, <laughs> and, the, and the Bene Gesserit have to control who gets those weirdnesses. Yeah, exactly. You know, they are the matchmaker. Yeah, literally. In I was, uh, I was actually, I find myself very rarely genuinely surprised when I'm reading a book of like, wow, that was a great twist. But the point that uh, Harkonnen turned out to be uh, Jessica's father, mm. I thought, you know, again, it's, it's in hindsight, it seems like, well, duh. But in reality, yeah. I'm looking at it going, holy shit, that was a came out of nowhere yeah. kind of a thing. Like, That's kind of interesting. Because Paul just reveals it with his sight. Yeah, and part of me thought, like, that's his, that's uh, Harkonnen's obsession with Paul. Yeah. But then there's that awkward sexual tension layer that he talks about where, like, he keeps asking for the male servants yeah. who are lo- who look like Paul right. to I read come about into that. his bedchamber. Actually, yep. uh, and that's just I, I was, I was make it less weird. I was concerned about that, and I read. I, I just did a search, and I was like Frank Herbert, um, you know, like homophobia stuff like that, just to see if like because he's the main villain of the text is clearly a pedophile. Right? Yeah, and really everything that comes back is it's not really about him being a homophobic. It was more like just. Uh, pedophilia was the biggest that, well, thing. Well, that's about what it. I got. Yeah, I never got like Herbert's vibe that he was like anti-gay. There were as... some other tones in there where you're like, well, does yeah. that play in with Herbert? This uh, thing with the uh, Harkonnen, but it was more of like it's just adding texture to a character that, and he even says like in his younger days he was way more adventurous and things like that's why he had a daughter. Like there's. He adventured into the female realm. Right. So yeah. there's just like almost like like a Roman emperor kind of just yeah. like excessive yeah. tastes is how he was characterized. Like the guy just yeah. he wasn't that he Dionysus. was right. He was just predatory. It, yeah. And that that was like what the villaination was. It wasn't villaination. Sure. It I'll wasn't it. that he was um, trying to say like, well, if you like dudes, you're gross and there's something yeah. wrong with you. It was more it was the excess. Yeah. And the Roman sure. emperor is a good way to put it actually. Mm-hmm. Cause there's, there's a lot and it wasn't just like, you know, the, the sex and the pedophilia. It was, 
it was the, uh, you know, I mean, there's the scene where in order to, like, make a point to his nephew, he's like, well, we're going to go down to all these women you sleep with and you're going to kill them with your bare hands. You know, it was like yeah. the overkill. and It's uh, control. Yeah. Power. Yeah. That's but it. just, like, the sheer, like, you know, excess of it. Yeah. Not just the power and control, but, the, like, the, the, the bloodthirstiness and excess yeah. of it all. And, and I think a Roman emperor, or, you know, certain Roman emperors, are, is a great way to put that. Or Epstein and Prince Andrew. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hand went for the, the bell and then I pulled back from it. Oh, you yeah, know, two on the nose. Sorry, guys. A little two on the nose. Yeah. No, yeah. you know, history's it, interesting. Current events are just depressing. Just, just sad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to quote Nine Inch Nails, there's a lot of sex in that violence there uh, when it comes to the Harkonnens. And oh, that's Bush, man. Yeah, that's Bush. Oh, everything's yeah. No sex in your violence. You but great have, quote, though. You can have that. I'm <laughs> yeah. giving that to you. Yeah. I, I gave Give it to you for the quote, though. I, I appreciate that. I, side note, I always wonder where Bush will be looked at in the pantheon of 90s music because they kind of get bagged on. Yeah. But they were huge. 16 Stone was a while there. Fucking, yeah. I mean, there's like five singles that everybody knows. It was seven of them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I remember being... No, 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 yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. No, I'm no, reaching no. for the bell, because Seminole has a roots in semen. You did it for me. Damn it. Uh, I don't even know where to go from there. Uh, I well, just, what's on the script? Yeah, what's next? Circular, circular logic here. All right, so, um, you know, we talked... We might kind of dabble in this, but the idea of... Uh, I dabble in many way, things. That's true, yeah. Uh, but, Not in, uh, like, a Harkonnens. <laughs> That's what you call it. Planets and all this stuff. But, uh, you know, uh, any connections you see the other texts or series? You know, Game of Thrones kind of comes to mind, as yeah. Sean pointed out. Yeah, that, that stood out the most to me. I'm like reading it going, like, wow. There's no way that, that uh, G- Germ did not read Dune Germ. before he Is sat down. Is that the going abbreviation for G.R.R. Martin? If not, then I've, to- I've coined something tonight. Germ. I doubt that I have. Somebody else That's must right. be calling him Germ. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Hashtag G-R-R-M. Yes, but uh, by the way, George Martin, if you're uh, listening to this, get back to work. Yeah. <laughs> All right? I want to read this series. <laughs> Thank no, you. HBO you're, finished this. That's the one person that we're going to tell you, go ahead and turn the podcast off. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Finish yep. it, please. Anyway. Return to your computer. Um, I forgot. Totally. Oh, yeah, but just that it Other just texts. felt it felt like yeah, the, the houses, the political machinations, the, like, the savior character. It's like, wow, this is note for note what... Uh, the song of I- Ice and Fire for its real title goes back yeah. to, and it's like both literally yeah. die. Both Paul and Jon Snow True. literally die for a few days or yeah. a time. Right? Paul mm-hmm. dies when he takes the um, the poison, right. melange poison, the melange whatever, yeah. poison, yeah. and he um, transmutes it in his body. Well, and Jon that's Snow all part of the monomyth, the, the hero's journey. Like yep. they have to yeah. descend into hell in the underworld and yeah. like have a sort of resurrection moment and everything. Yep. Yeah, it's funny how, as much as I hate stereotypes and archetypes, everything I like uses them oh, yeah. pretty effectively. <laughs> There's a reason why. They Son of a bitch, Young, Carl Young, you motherfucker. Oh, no, the, 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 uh, Older than time itself, man. Yeah. And, that, and that's uh, Joseph Campbell with the monomyth. And that is, um, you know, even modern stories that are intentionally attempting to subvert mm. the hero's journey are in some way incorporating a version of the hero's journey. I mean, it's just, you don't have a, it's not because we all are copying the same story. It's because like, in order to have a story, there are certain things right. that have to be done, whether mm-hmm. literally or metaphorically. It, and all Joseph Campbell and Carl Jung, Jung, how do you say that? I always say Jung. Uh, however it is, um, they both 
they identified it. They didn't create it. You know, yeah, they just no. sort of. There's something in our reptilian yeah. brain, or, or <laughs> part of our humanity, that just like that's it. That's the story. That's the way it is. There's no getting yeah. around that. Mm-hmm. If you try to go too far off the path, you're not going to be successful. No. And, and to return to your you know question, I, I don't want to say a specific text that it reminded me of, but I did make the point before that I would argue that Dune is not science fiction as much as it's fantasy. Uh, and the reason I feel that way is because I don't feel that science is in any way or technology is in any way like a central part of the plot here. But you have an emperor and you have like feuding houses and you have like the savior figure who is the son of the rightful ruler who has to like yeah. save the world from destruction and restore right. order to the galaxy and, and so <laughs> on, you know? Even yeah. the uh, the science parts of it, like the science fiction parts are just... It's like we've advanced so much as a species that it's not even science anymore. No. It's become something else. Right. It's like, oh, the guild it's controls like space trail. Yes, it's yeah. mytholo- it's mythologized exactly right, Adam. Good point. Ding for yourself. There yes, we go. that's for you, buddy. I'm just freely giving dings away, currently. <laughs> Shouldn't have bought two of these things? <laughs> no, you should have bought two of them. That's right, because I get my own when I sit over here, <laughs> and I can control that one. we gotta, we got to break out into like filming these things and putting them on YouTube, but like obscuring our faces somehow so people don't know who we are. Yeah. Well, you know... <laughs> so we can see like, the absurdity of our situations. <laughs> I don't... I think this is a lovely situation. We're on your back patio. We've got some <laughs> buffalo chicken bites. We've had a couple of drinks. Yeah, I guess. Life is good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll take it. Life Thank is you. good. It's a Thursday night, man. Um, all right, so I think I know where we're going with this. But um, before we talk about uh, Denis Villeneuve and his cinematic vision for this, which I'm so freaking ready for that I might need to change my pants. There you go. I needed to work it in. Wow. Yeah, it took a little bit. I was really trying, and you guys kept shifting the landscape on me and I couldn't catch up with you. Um, no, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, let's just get a You've quick... had a couple margaritas. It just took you a little longer. Just, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all. Yeah. There's no that's shame right. in that. Maybe she appreciates how long it took. Um, I'm sure that's true. Foreplay. This is like ten play. Ten play. That's right. There you go. We're done for the month. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm presuming this is three thumbs up. Is that right? Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Just making I, sure. I'm actually looking forward to reading the next book in the series when I get a moment, just because I, I, I would like to see where it goes from here. Yeah. Sure, sure. Mike, have you read the next book? I have not. No. Uh, I just, I, as I said, I finished the first book today. Um, but I, uh, I, um, I, I've said, you know, I think Sean and I talked, and I said there were parts of this book that were really thrilling to me. There were other parts of this book that I just was, you know they dragged for me mm. but I, you know I also was trying to be objective enough to say that that wasn't really the book's fault as much as it was circumstances sure. um, this is a book that demands to be read with large chunks of time yeah consistently and you know sometimes you know life doesn't allow you that and sometimes you're trying to read this book you're like I got 20 minutes and I got to read a, you know, a few pages yeah, here and a few pages work. there and Dune is a difficult book to read that way so when you're deep in the midst of like Paul and uh, Jessica slowly learning like the Freeman habits and yeah. culture and history, I would just stuff. still a sill suit for what seven Ex- pages. Exactly. <laughs> you know that's that's the type of thing where I'm sitting here on one part of my brain is appreciating that mm-hmm. and appreciating like the world building aspect of it, but another part of my brain is like, man, I got five minutes and then I got to leave to take my daughter to gymnastics. Yeah. You know, but that was not a reflection on the book. That was a reflection on my my reading circumstances. Yeah. Um, 
I think, Adam, I think you said before that, you know, looking back on the whole thing, you appreciate it even more having, like, read it and finished it and looking back on it than any individual uh, aspect of reading it. That's how Mm -hmm. I feel. I mean, the book is more than the sum of its parts, and I do look forward to continuing the series. As a reading experience, there's pacing issues. You can't get around it. There always are in, in epic novels though, absolutely I feel like especially when there's huge time lapses too like there's moments that just go and go on not unlike motorcycles speeding down the road out the out the way that you're probably hearing in the background <laughs> dogs barking mercilessly in the background no foxes screaming tonight. No, no no we've got other noises tonight but, we'll get uh, we'll get there yeah. <laughs> but uh, i think like like you're right you look at it as a whole text and it becomes that cultural milestone yeah if you were looking at it in little pieces, you'd be like, what the fuck am I reading? Yeah. You no, know, there's oh. there's chapters that are fascinating. Right. Uh, I thought the, the, the gladiator spectacle uh, toward the end of book two, I think it was toward the end of book two, the Harkonnen yeah. gladiator-like yes. thing. Yes, yes Just, it was. You have this central kind of sort of... the gladiator. With the knob yeah, error, the nave error. Exactly. Yeah. And you have, you, so it's a yeah. central thing taking part on like the sands of the Colosseum, and yeah. you have the central fight, right? But then around that, you have all the scheming and the double meaning in every right. sentence and all that stuff. It's a fascinating uh, chapter. You have other chapters, like I said, where it's just like... You know, uh, oh, so technically, if you're going to call someone out in the Freeman culture, these are, you know, 10 pages of like subparagraphs <laughs> of explanations. Yeah. Of, you know, there's that mirrored yeah. fight that <laughs> Paul has with the Fremen or right. Freeman with that last like a page. Right. Right. Where Paul's remembering some of his training mm-hmm. and he has a few steps, jabs the guy, right. game over, carries water away. Right, right. Yeah. And inherits it's really, wife and kids. Inherits the wife and kids, right. which, yeah, I did take issue with that for sure. But it's really just a vehicle to find out more about the culture that right, he's right. going to now control, right? Like, right. Literally. I was going to say something, and I completely I forgot totally what it was. I hate when that it's happens. About time. <laughs> it, oh no! You know what it was? It was, it was not unlike what I was going to say anyway. That there's moments in like certain films I've seen many times that. I'm ready. They're reaching for the bottles already. Mike and I are ready. You know, these vignettes of like, what would happen in a post-apocalyptic world where maybe all of the world's ice melted, Mm. or maybe governments (laughs) around the world collapse, and only like a singular figure who delivers the mail can save. Just waiting for a message to come. (laughs) There it is. All three of us locked in. Yes. We really got to set a Patreon and watch that. I, we uh, really do. That, oh I think God. we need to retire some of these tropes and move <laughs> on to some <laughs> different things. Yeah. Season two. We'll count yeah. anything maybe after this season two. Okay, sounds we good. This is that. it. We were, reti- we were officially retiring Bob Dylan. Yeah. We're retiring <laughs> Rod, Kevin Costner movies. Right, yeah. And we are retiring sexual jokes. Well, oh. we'll never retire those. Well, no, no, no. No, but those you got to Adam having to make <laughs> yeah. one. So, yeah. guys, this is your last, or folks, people friends, podcast listeners, this is your last chance to hear those jokes, so you know, yeah. listen to it multiple times from unique you devices go. and bump our numbers. Thank you. Spread it <laughs> spread it to your friends there, sure. Yeah. Alright, so we've covered a lot of ground today. Uh, 700-page book, covered two different cocktails. Mm. Um, before we talk about what we want to read next, which still kind of is up for debate internally in the pod, but we mm. kind of know what we're looking at. Uh, we, are we a pod? Is that what we are? We are a pod. Ooh, like pod dolphins. Podcast pod. Ah. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm sorry. Edit that out, please. John. Please edit that out. No, no that's no, 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 no. That's uh, that's the that's the hook. Oh, fine. <laughs> Adam's dolphin is yeah, now the that hook. It's not my sex joke. That's my dolphin. We're, no, we're, oh god. We're gonna, I'm gonna copy that and paste that to be the cold open. Ooh. I'm actually sure gonna fine. I'm gonna edit that into the music piece. So it's like. <laughs> 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 oh, no. That's the lyric over. That's uh, great. Uh, we have tentative plans, kind of just informally to. Go see the movie. Yes, sir. What What are we thinking Oh, so it's far? formal. We're going. Yeah. 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 I kind of have a, like, penciled-in month of, right. at some point, we're going to see yep. this movie. Well, I, I'll tell you, like, I and I have said on this podcast before, and I'll tell everyone who listens uh, to me whether they want to or not, uh, my favorite director today is, is this director, Denis mm. Villeneuve, uh, and I am so excited. I think the trailer looks oh my gosh. insanely great. Yep. Uh, the one trailer I think uses, uh, uh, it, it's a Pink Floyd song. W- which one was it? Was it Shine On You Crazy Diamond or one of them? I think I saw that one. Uh, but it's, it's a cover yeah. of it, though. It's not like the Pink Floyd song. But uh, anyways, um, I just, you know, I think that everything this director has done has been an incredible masterpiece. I've yet to see a film by this director that doesn't just, you know, blow me away. And um, I, I think... Even having openly stated my bias in favor of this director, (laughs) I think he's the perfect pick for a movie like this because what you don't want to do is take a novel as complex as we all agree that Dune is and turn it into a uh, you know a summer blockbuster. You know you want to turn it into something that has some gravitas. And uh, you know Villeneuve is is a director who is not afraid to slow the pace down. He is not afraid to bring in the art and the intellect to his movies. Um, and I, I think if any director working today could do this movie justice, that it will be him. So I am thrilled, and I can't wait. I'm hoping third time is a charm, because uh, <laughs> it's had ups and downs yeah, in, in yeah. film, and it would be nice to finally get like a definitive version where you can go, yeah, that really captures the essence of the text, and it's beautifully done. I, I'm not a huge fan of movies based on books to begin with, and there's very few that I think actually do a good job. But I'm looking forward to seeing what, what happens here. So mm. I am stoked. Yeah, I think Mike hit the nail on the head a lot when it comes to talking about um, the goal of the director. And this is not a summer blockbuster. This is not a uh, Memorial Day blowout release right. You know, against everybody else. This is a thoughtful, complex release. And I think that was the issue with the other attempts at uh, the movie is that they were trying to make some sort of like action blockbuster when right. Herbert actively works against that. Right. Right. There's a war here that we don't see sure. really. They went for exactly. visual spectacle whereas yeah. the story is way beyond that. Maybe maybe Game of Thrones being as popular as it is gave people like the right to say, okay, look, this can work. Audiences are receptive to this. You got to go with the original kind of feel. Well, and Villeneuve can sure do spectacle too, but he right. he, mm-hmm. he does it smartly. What's that? I'm thinking Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade Runner 2049, Arrival. I mean, Arrival... Arrival kind of had its moments. He was plotting for the first, like, third of it. But there are moments where you're like, whoa! Oh, for sure. overwhelms you visually. He does it... You know, what I'm saying is he does both so well. I mean, all the things that people like and appreciate about Christopher Nolan... Uh, taking nothing away from Christopher Nolan, I think he's wow. great. I'll take a lot from Christopher but, Nolan. <laughs> but wow. all the things that people <laughs> do, please continue doing that because I'm I feel impressed. like that is adding. Did you get the you know, full <laughs> credit for that? <laughs> but all the things that people 
like about Christopher Nolan films, mm-hmm. I think are even truer of Denis Villeneuve yeah. films. With you skill, know, I think. Exactly. I think that he has, you know, if, if you're there for the action and the spectacle, he has that too. Hmm. Uh, but he also has the stuff that will just blow your mind intellectually and uh, artistically. So, Agreed. Yeah. There it goes. I was leaving space for you. I saw you <laughs> thinking about that one. So, yeah. all right. Uh, shall we prep the uh, nerds for the next book that we do. we've been talking about it? We haven't had a hard yes on what we're going to read, except for uh, Mike being the uh, resident Lovecraft expert here. <laughs> Experts. Is that a, no, is no, that no, something no. you really want to carry no, as yeah. a title? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Mike is able to handle complexity. He can handle multitudes. Right. That is right. <laughs> Thank you. Multitudes. We just finished Leaves of Grass, so I'm going to quote that forever now. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So um, we, we agreed to a couple texts. And we're well, a, I think there's there's there. a couple that I think are, are no-brainers. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll decide as a cast what we want to do, but I, I think that probably Call of Cthulhu is yeah, obviously... Can we listen to Metallica in the background? I I insist that we do. Thank you. I absolutely insist that we do. Um, (laughs) You know, but what we're going to tackle, you know, we don't obviously have uh, the time or space unless we want to become a Lovecraft cast (laughs) to uh, to do all of it. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna hit the big ones, I think. And uh, I have to watch an episode of Lovecraft Lovecraft Country. I have almost finished season one, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, you know, as I was, I actually stopped because I was. Into the final couple episodes, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. But what is the mm. actor's name who just died? Uh, he was in The Wire. Chevik Bozeman? No, 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 no. no, no. Just I, died like a I week ago. Yeah, mm. he was in The Wire and several other things, and he was in Lovecraft Country, and he uh, he died, and um, oh, I, I, that was a little depressing. So I hit oh. pause on the show. But the show Lovecraft Country is uh, is brilliant. It's uh, depressing that there will not be a second season. Michael K. Williams. Michael oh, K. Williams. That's, right. yeah, that's the one. That's right. Um, but yeah, well, this will be a fun cast. I mean, we're obviously uh, we timed it so that it would be uh, in time for Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll talk about the different versions of Lovecraft, and we'll talk about uh, I'm sure the the, the problematic historical figure sure. that is sure. Lovecraft, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a fun one. Yeah, yeah, same, same here. So uh, stay tuned for what we're going to grab from Lovecraft. But you can guarantee we said Call of Cthulhu. For sure, For and Mountains sure. of Madness. Mountains of Madness. Uh, I you would seem a yes say. on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm down with, with whatever Mike recommends. So. <laughs> yeah, we're we're on the fence on a third piece, but you know, at least pick yourself up, Call of Cthulhu and Mountains of Madness. You know, if you get any collection of Lovecraft, I'm sure they'll be there together. Those are those tone. are two of the you know the seminal ones, the seminal ones. <laughs> yep, yep. They give birth to other things. So, oh, oh, nice. there you go. Right. We're giving their water to the land there. <laughs> yeah, that I like, gets this back. I like the water it? reference. Yeah. Though, you know, right. giving the moisture to the land. Yeah. There. <laughs> oh. the moisture belongs. Yeah, to you the know, tribe. you never talked about that. Like, what's your jizz worth? <laughs> uh, I I presume masturbation would be forbidden in the Fremen. Ooh. Oh man, oh, help me out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Team Harkonnen. No. Well, or maybe it just stays in your still suit, which sounds uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's a, that's a whole other cast. You know, what? stay tuned also for our Dune movie cast when we come yes, back. Yes, and yes. That'll be November. Yes, yeah, we're going to do a special promo in November for that one. Yep. So October we're thinking Lovecraft, and November we're thinking Dune movie cast. It Absolutely. Sounds like all right. Uh, stay nerdy. Then we will see you next time.